nimble. It could cut on a dime. It was lightweight and it was well armed. And not only was it fast and well armed and nimble, it was absolutely deadly. It was the deadliest thing in the skies. And the fighters in 1941 and 42 that we put up in the air against the Zeros, it was not a fair fight. It was almost suicide to have a dogfight with a Japanese Zero because the pilots were so good and the machine was awesome. So we put up two fighters, the Wildcat and P-40s, and often those American pilots that went up, it was suicide. Japan built 10,000 of these wonderful planes. Two things changed the balance toward the American side in the war. One is they improved tactics. And American pilots, even flying these planes that were twice as heavy and a lot slower, this was their theme, whatever you do. Never turn and follow a zero because when he sees you coming, he's going to whip around behind you and you're dead. The goal was use what they called slash and dash tactics. Short burst and run away. The other thing that went to our advantage, the American advantage, was a brand new plane rolled off the assembly lines in early 1942, put out by the Grumman Corporation, and it was the F-6F Wildcat. It was a, I'm sorry, Christians shouldn't say those words in church. I'll say them anyway. Hellcat. It was based on the Wildcat. So, It would take sometimes a year, year and a half, or two years for a plane like this to be officially tested before it was released. But our government realized we are losing the war and these Hellcats must be placed in combat. And they got to the South Pacific none too soon, 1942, and that's to see a Hellcat. They were carrier-based, and they had a tremendous record. And maybe some of you would like to say, well, Pastor, what was their tremendous record? Oh, thank you for asking. They shot down 5,200 Japanese aircraft, 13 German planes, even though they didn't even hardly get to Europe, They lost 270 Hellcats in combat, but here's what I wanted to show you. The kill ratio was 19 to 1. Say, Steve, why are you telling this story? Because the World War II, the Hellcat was quite a weapon. Now, what I want to show you today, six weapons that you need to know in combat against your enemy. And most Christians do not know these. 
I actually, as a brand new Christian, because I struggle with this, I wrote these six passages in the back of my very first Bible because it meant so much to me. Okay? Now follow with me. The devil, do you have an enemy called the devil? Is that yes or no? There's three things he does not want. And one is he does not want people to get saved. He does not want people to come to Jesus. He wants people to be eternally separated from God and good and everything and get the same punishment that he's going to get one day. Now, we love evangelism at Church of the Savior. We love sharing the good news. During this month, there's been somewhere 35, 45 of us that have been going out every Thursday night, and I've been teaching how to do street witnessing. It's very simple, 15 minutes of instruction. We get in cars, groups of four or five, and you learn by doing, and we just go all over this area. I think uh, the first week we had five people receive Christ. The next week we had four people receive Christ. A week ago we had one person receive Christ. And last Thursday night, five people received Christ. One young man, Missy was with me. <clears throat> he was on his break in an alleyway sitting on a stoop. We befriended him, shared the gospel with him. He gave his heart to Christ, and he, his co-workers watched him do that. Uh, it's not always fun. I did have one little lady pull her glasses down. She was eating a pizza. I was trying to start a conversation, and I couldn't understand her. She did say this, go away. I guess that was a closed door. Also, the devil does not want people who do receive Jesus to actually know that they are saved. He wants to, to keep them tentative, always second-guessing, always wondering if I was to die today, would I go to heaven? Would I not? And that's what the devil wants because if you're tentative, if you have no confidence, you're going to be no threat to him. You're always going to be focused on yourself. And as James says, that person is a double-minded man. Up one day, down the next. One day thinking, wow, I love God, God loves me. A week later, I don't know if God loves me. How could God love a person like me? And it's kind of like the surf of the seashore. Back and forth, back and forth. Committed one week, not committed the next. In a local church, not in a local church. Reading the Bible, no time for the Bible. Loving to pray, no time to pray. Just up and down and up and down. And that's where the devil wants to keep all of us. And then the third one, the devil wants to keep people who are saved and who know they're saved from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we don't have the power to live for Jesus. It's only the Spirit that fills us to overflowing where we can live for Jesus. And we're going to talk about that the next five weeks. Do you know there's a difference between being full and being empty? Do you know there's a difference? There's a big difference. Full and empty. If I'm empty, I can't love people. 
If I'm empty, I have a hard time praying. If I'm empty, I get nothing out of the Bible. If I'm empty, I'm not going to serve. Because people that are empty, what they think about all the time is themselves. And some of you are so focused on you and your situation, you need to get full of God and forget yourself. Focus on Him. Focus on other people. Now you say, Steve, what does assurance mean? I have no idea. Most people today, you ask them, what does assurance mean? They have no idea. Here's a quick definition. Are you ready? It means you know that you know. Say it with me, please. You know that you know. One more time, you know that you know that when you die, you will go to heaven because you have received Jesus. You know that. You know it here, and you know it right here. It means that you are certain of this. You stand on this. You live on this. You're no longer up and down when it comes to heaven. You know you are a child of the living God, not 30%, not 60%, not 80%. You know this 100% because you know what the scripture says. You're not living on your feelings. You're not living on what somebody else said. You're living on the assurance of your salvation. And it comes from two things. How many things? How many? Remember, third grade level. How many? Two. Thank you. Did I hold two up yet? Two. One is, what does the Bible say? Now, what anybody else says, what 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 do the scriptures say? And two, the second thing is the internal witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside who whispers to you, you belong to the Father. This is what the Holy Spirit does. One of the reasons the Father gave the Holy Spirit to us to say, hey, you're my son, you're my daughter. Now, let's look at a whole bunch of verses, or let's say six. Six. Because I want you to help yourself. And some of you will get this fixed today. You will never be the same after this time today. Because you will know that you know that you know. Because of what the scripture says. But you say, you already know this. Can you help others do this? So please, take notes. Now, Turn to your neighbor, and if they're not going to take notes, would you just give them the stink eye? Just go, just go ahead. They're not going to give them the stink eye. <clears throat> Why are we doing this? We want people to know Jesus, and we want people to have assurance of Jesus. We want that foundation in their life so they never, ever doubt it again. Now, <clears throat> the basis of this starts out with this simple question. Does Jesus lie? Is that yes or no? I'm not sure I heard you. Does Jesus lie? One more time. Does Jesus lie? Okay. So whatever he says goes, right? Let's start with, turn to the back, back of the book. Revelation chapter 3. You may know this by heart, but I want you to mark it in your Bible. I wanted to show you how to use this verse. 
Revelation 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the what? At the door, the door of your life, the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. If anyone, anyone is anyone, and everyone, if anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and will dine in a Middle East situation. Somebody from Central Asia allows you into their house and they feed you. It means you're in your family. It's a big deal. I will dine with him and he with me. So after a person receives Christ, I go over these verses. I may do it immediately after they pray to receive Christ. And I ask him, did you hear him knock? Yes or no? Yes, I heard him knock. Did you get up and go to the door and let him in? Because Jesus is not going to kick in your door. He's knocking, but he will not open the latch. You have to do that. It is your decision. So did you get up and play along with me? Did you open the door, yes or no? Okay, yes, you did. Now, right in your margin somewhere, If you want to be a consistent soul winner, here's a little trick. Here's a little tip. I ask people a lot, has God been speaking to you? They're going through a crisis. They're having a hard time. I just, is God speaking to you? You would be surprised the number of people say, yes, he is. And then I ask, what is he saying? Can I help you meet him? That's very inoffensive and very effective. And then you ask, well, did he come in? Yes or no? Help me out. Did he come in? Yes, he did come in. So where is Jesus now? He's in my heart. He's in my life. He's in my home. Perfect. Jesus does not lie. You hear his voice. You open the door. This is what he does for everybody all over the world. Do you know There may be 50,000 people today that will give their heart to Christ all over the world. Every country. Practically every city. Because Jesus is knocking on the door of people's lives. Now go backward to John. And I've shared this verse with people that could not read and write. And I've shared this verse with PhDs that are running corporations and are vice presidents. Everybody got it? Let me share it with you. But as many as received who? Him. To them he gave the right to become what? Children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So if I've just given them a paperback Bible and they've got a pen or I gave them a pen and we opened to it, I asked them, choose the two most important words in the passage and circle them. So I watch, and these are the words that they circle most of the time. Maybe I have to coach them a little bit. First word is receive. Everyone say receive. And the second word is children. As many who received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to become what? Children of God. So I just asked them. Did you receive him? Yes or no? Help me out. Did you receive him? 
Yes, I did. And so then you are a what? Child of God. And often I will go back and forth with a brand new believer. I go, are you a child of God? Well, I don't know. Okay, (laughs) did you receive him six minutes ago? Yes, I did. Then according to what Jesus said, what are you? I'm a child of God. So how does a person become a child of God? They what? Receive him. See how simple that is? The devil wants to make it complicated. Jesus wants to make it simple. Now turn over four chapters. You found it? Hope you guys watching online are doing the same thing. Got a Bible? Hope you're marking it, writing this down. Verse 24, truly, truly, which means Jesus is saying, look, pay attention. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, and has what? Passed from death to life. Well, how do you use that, Steve? Like this. I remember I took a friend of mine. He was a big old boy. He was, he made me look like a twig. Man, he's a big, strong, strapping young man. And he gave his heart to Christ at the end of the service. He came forward and I knelt beside him. And I said, Ricky, did you hear the gospel tonight? And Ricky said, what? Yes, I did. Because he had just prayed the sinner's prayer with me. I said, did you believe? And Ricky said, what? Yes, I did. I want to show you two diagrams. Everybody watching? You see the head? Books, library, knowledge. There's a difference between head knowledge, which will not get you to heaven. I was raised in church. Wednesday night, Sunday school, Sunday morning, youth group, Sunday night. All I had and my entire family, we had head knowledge. The devil has head knowledge. Head knowledge is... uh, Did George Washington exist? Yes, he did. That's in history. Did he do anything for me? No, he did not. That is head knowledge. So when you believe, it is not head knowledge. It is heart knowledge. And write this down in the margin. It is the important 18-inch journey. How many inches? From your head to your heart. Where the heart flies open. Now as you minister to people, share the gospel with people, pray with people, sometimes I will see tears run down their face. We saw that happen a lot this Thursday. People just weeping. It was the presence of the Lord. And they were feeling not our words. They were feeling God's presence as we were sharing. And then it's really wonderful to see the gospel go from their head, drop down, to their heart, and that is called believe. So I said, Ricky, did you hear? I heard. Did you believe? Yes, I believe. And I said, Ricky, because you heard and believed, you now get three gifts. How many gifts? Three gifts. What are the gifts? 
See, we just read the scriptures and don't think about them. The first gift is, I said, Ricky, do you have eternal life? He goes, I have eternal life. And what tense is that word has? What tense is it? Present tense. So I'd Ricky, I said, Ricky, you don't have eternal life when you die. You have eternal life right now. They have eternal life. The second gift, and I love this, does not come into judgment. How would you like to be free of all judgment? Would that be good? All your sins forgiven under the blood of Christ. Nothing in your book that Jesus will hold against you. Now we'll be judged for rewards, but we will not be judged for our sins. How many think that is good news? Everybody say, Yahoo! Yeah, I passed judgment. No judgment. You! And then I love this one a little bit more. And they have passed, everyone say passed, from death to what? Death to life. And I said, Ricky, it's like walking through a door. On this side of the door, I was dead in trespasses and sin. On this side of the door, I am alive in Christ. On this side of the door, I was a child of the devil. And he pushed my buttons all the time and I obeyed him. On this side of the door... I am filled with the Holy Spirit. On this side of the door, I had no purpose. On this side of the door, I have eternal purpose because I've done what? I have passed from where? Death to life. Is this making sense? Okay, turn to another one. Turn to Ephesians. Go to your right. I could not remember the order of these little epistles that Paul wrote. An epistle is not something you shoot at a bird. It's a letter. And there's four little epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Chicagoans or something. And I just remembered good eating popcorn, and I never forgot the order. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a what? What is it? That you can't earn. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here you see the beauty. For by grace, I didn't have anything to do with it. My father chased me. My father opened my heart. My father sent people to me. Grace has nothing to do with you. It's what he did. He supplied the 98% of grace. I supplied the 2% of faith. All I had to do was say, yes, Lord. I didn't have to clean up. I didn't have to join the church. I didn't have to do a bunch of dogma, a bunch of rigmarole. I just said, yes, That's faith. And then Paul went on to say, not of yourselves. Everyone say yourselves. Which means there's nothing you can do. It is a what? Gift of God. Man's way is to earn it. 
And Jesus says, you do not earn my love or a place in heaven. It is a gift and not as a result of works. I had a bank executive Thursday night out on the street. There was a concert going on. I shared the gospel with him. And he said to me, uh, essentially, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good guy. And I said, well, you're probably a better guy than this rascal is. Well, honey, you ain't good enough. Because <laughs> there's nobody on earth that can work their way to heaven. That no one should boast. I mean, when I get to heaven and I stand before Jesus, do you think I'm going to put my little bony hands on my little bony hips? Aren't they bony? And say, boy, heaven's glad to get me. Wow. Uh, no. I will be on my face going, I do not deserve to be here. Now, here's one of my spiritual heroes, John Wesley. I knew nothing about him. So I moved to Kentucky 40 years ago. And now this guy is one of my number one heroes outside of Scripture. Maybe the greatest Christian Outside of scripture. John Wesley is the son, was the son and grandson of Anglican priests. He grew up where his mother Susanna gave him an hour of religious instruction. He memorized scripture. She had 19 children. Each one of them got an hour. He memorized much in the New Testament in Greek. He joined, He is an Oxford grad. I went to Clemson. There's a little difference. He became a, a pastor, a clergyman, ordained as an Anglican priest. He worked in prisons. Nobody wanted to. He fed the poor. He cared for widows and orphans. He gave away his income, all trying to please God. He even said, hey, God will be pleased if I become a missionary. And he came to Savannah, Georgia to minister to the settlers there and the Native Americans there. And it was a total washout. It was a horrible experience on the way home back to England, completely defeated. He wrote in his journal, I came to America to save the Indians, but who will save me? He got invited to a small group, a Bible study on a street that no longer exists in London called Aldersgate Street. That is where this hospital is today. It's on my bucket list. I want to just go and stand there. But he wrote in his journal, in the evening I went quite unwillingly, in other words, he was dragged, to a Bible study on Aldersgate Street where one was reading from Luther's preface to the epistle of Romans. They hadn't even gotten to the Bible yet. About a quarter before nine, while this man was describing the change that God works in the human heart through faith instead of works, God's spirit descended on me. I had an encounter with this group of eight people and my heart was strangely warmed like never before. 
That's the room where it happened. And he said, in that moment, I went from works to faith, and I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And assurance was given me that he had taken away my sin, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And friends, do I have any Americans in this room? That was May 24, 1738. He was 35 years of age. It changed two continents and sent missionaries around the world. If you are an American, the seed of righteousness that was planted through him is still in your bones and our culture today. Verse 10, people say, well, what's the difference between saved by faith and what's the place of works? How do I work? Well, verse 10 in Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship. We're a piece of art. We're a beautiful piece of jewelry. And we're destined for good works in Christ. And God is going to prepare encounters for you next week and next month and next year so you can bring him glory and walk in them. You see, good works will never give you salvation. They are the result of salvation. And we do it out of gratitude. That's our only motivation. Lord, I serve out of gratitude. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now turn with me to 1 John. I want to show you this. Go to Revelation and hang a left. Verse 11, this is the testimony, this is the witness that God has given us eternal life and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Verse 13, if you mark any verse, mark verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So what does verse 11 say? Who gives eternal life? Somebody tell me. Is it the preacher? Is it the church? Is it your mother? Who gives eternal life? And where is this found? Is it rules? Is it dogma? It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. It's not being Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Assembly of God. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I ask people, I take them through this verse, do you have the Son, yes or no? And if they receive Christ, yes, I think I have the Son. Well, you ask, and Jesus doesn't lie, so you have the Son, which means you have the what? Life. And let's look at uh, verse 13. i got to show you this. John said this, these things were written so you could hope that you have eternal life. People tell me, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. I go, doesn't work. 
Uh, well, they also tell me this. Well, I wish I'd go to heaven. Or I think, I think, I think maybe I'll go to heaven. What does the scripture say? These things are written that you may know 100% that you're going to heaven because you've given your heart to Jesus. Last verse. Turn there quickly. Romans 8. This is important. Now here's what I do after I lead somebody to Christ. Right before I leave them, I'll either quote this verse or show them where it is. And often I will grab one of their hands. Let's say it's 10 gods that gave their heart to Christ with me. I'll say, let's all hold hands. I want to pray this Bible verse. Well, what's a Bible verse? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Himself bears witness where? Where does He bear witness? Not our heads but our spirit. So you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. So God is a spirit. He communicates with your spirit that we are what? Children of God. Now I want to share with you quickly what happens. Because when you lead somebody to Christ... These eight things kick in, and it's the Holy Spirit doing them. Well, like what? There's a new awareness of sin you didn't have before. I was a party fool last week. I don't enjoy being a drunken party fool now because it doesn't feel right. Why? Because the Holy One's inside you. It's amazing over all these years, a number of couples that are living together and uh, I always love them, and they give their heart to Jesus. You know what the very next thing they say? It's amusing, and I love it. Sometimes they'll say very shyly, do you, do you ever do weddings? I go, I've done a few. Yeah, I've done a few. Would you do our wedding? I, you know what? I would just, I would run across a mountain to do your wedding. They just feel that new awareness. Number two, changes in attitudes. Well, like what? Well, your pastor swore like a sailor on steroids. Uh, All my life until I gave my heart to the Lord, I ran around with rough people. And so I talked like them and I tried to stop because I knew it was bad and I couldn't stop. I gave my heart to the Lord. And then about a month later, two months later, I went, oh my goodness, I'm not even swearing. It's a miracle. Well, no, it's an attitude change by the Holy Ghost. Number three, this is probably the greatest sign I was born again. A new love for the body of Christ. Somebody that hated church, despised pastors, and hated Christians. I now fell in love with them. And wherever they were, I wanted to help them. John says by this, we know we pass from death to life because what? We love God's people. Four, 
There's a desire to witness. You want to tell people what Jesus has done for you. And I have found the best soul winners are people that are brand new Christians. They don't know enough to be shy and backward. They just tell people what Jesus did for them. To show you what a knucklehead your pastor is, I got saved on a Wednesday night. Jesus set me up. Man, did he set me up. I was a singer at the time, and I was in a group, and we were singing in my high school for, uh, I don't even remember what they used to call it, in the auditorium, 500 students. And the director said, uh, anybody here want to share a testimony of their love for God? And like the idiot that I am, and he said, okay, Pearson, you're up in six minutes. And after I did that, I went, what have I done? <laughs> I, But I told him when he said, come up here and share. I went, I don't know what happened, but I gave my heart to Jesus last night. I'm already a new creation. I'm going to live for him. You guys that I've hurt, offended, abused, I want to apologize. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to live for Jesus. And afterwards, a lot of students came up and say, wow, Steve, I'm a Christian too, but I was too afraid to tell people I was a Christian. Number five, a hunger for the word of God. The guy that mentored me was a man of the scriptures. So I became a man of the scriptures. Now, if you're not in a good church, if you're not around stronger Christians, this is inside you, but it may not come out unless somebody shows you. It is naturally supernatural for you to come out with these things like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Balance your Bible on your toes. Six, a growing heart for prayer. I started praying on my grandmother's front porch where I was raised. Rough old wicker rocking chairs. I'd sit out there 10 minutes and God's spirit would show up. And I loved talking to my Papa God. And I met him sitting in those chairs, rocking, and just talking to him. Worship team, would you guys come out? And then there'll be an increase in testing. Older Christians don't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. What are you talking about? Well, before you get promoted, you'll have to be tested. Before you get promoted... You need to go through purification because you got stuff in your life that's not good, healthy. And the fire will burn it off and you'll be prepared to serve him. Like, give me an example. Great example. My father owned several good businesses. We also farmed. I gave my heart to Christ. My brother gave his heart to Christ. My father came back to Christ. My mother came back to Christ. We were living for Jesus Lives are being changed, and all of a sudden the economy went down, and our business was down there. And we couldn't figure it out. Hey, if I'm going to live for Jesus, but man, did God purify us. Business never came back, but our faith grew like crazy. And number eight, there's a new desire to please the Lord. little boy named Samuel was told by the Lord, Samuel, I always honor people who honor me. 
And all this is a work of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you this story before we worship and pray. 1972, there's a big Jesus festival in Dallas called Explo 72. Did anybody in this room go to it? There were four of us in the first room. Anybody, 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 anybody? Oh, right back there. Awesome. Anybody else? Completely changed my life. Dallas, Texas. Look at that mob on Love Field. 80 thousand college students high school students and this baseball coach who was an english teacher he was 26 that summer 10 of us roughnecks gave our heart to jesus he put us on a bus i said where are we going dallas what are we going to do down there he said you'll figure it out when we get there we were there for a week this was two three years after the horrible event called Woodstock that destroyed people's lives. It was two years after the first Jesus festival in Wilmore called Ichthus. This happened June 12th through 17th, 1972. Johnny Cash had just given his heart to the Lord. He and his wife, June, led worship and music. Nobody knows who this group is. Shirley might know. Love Song, which was a group that God used powerfully back in the 70s and 80s, led worship. This guy, Andre Crouch and the disciples that fed my faith by their worship. And you're not going to believe this. A young Chris Christofferson gave his heart to Christ, testified, and led a song. Why me, Lord? I don't think anybody discipled Chris, but he was there. Changed our nation's history. There was training in the morning, street witnessing in the afternoons, and then in these big venues, people like Billy Graham spoke to us, brand new Christians. And the highlight of the time for me was in this guy, Bill Bright, another John Wesley that founded Campus Crusade for Christ or what is today crew. He stood on the stage and talked about something I'd never heard about called the assurance of salvation. That's where it took place. Anybody know what that's called? That's the cotton bowl where the Dallas Cowboys were playing football at the time. See, the, the stage is back this way at the bottom part of the screen. So I found Jesus May 10th, 1972. Five weeks later, I'm in the Cotton Bowl hearing about assurance of salvation. And I received my assurance at night. You see, for five weeks, one day I thought I was a Christian. Next week I didn't. I said, well, I couldn't have Christian wouldn't watch that. A Christian wouldn't say those things. A Christian wouldn't have that temptation. So it was up and down and up and down and up and down. And Bill Bright from the stage, I think my thing just disappeared. He said this, 
You don't have to keep getting saved. You get saved one time. You can rededicate your life to the Lord every day of your life. But I'm going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would bear witness in people's hearts all over this stadium who need assurance of salvation. And it's going to happen because Jesus' words are always true. So he prayed. I held my hands out. And after that night, I've never doubted that I was a child of the living God, that my sins were forgiven, and I was going to heaven. And I want to help you as we close. If you don't have your assurance, you're not going to do much for God's kingdom until you get it. Because you'll be tentative all your life. So I'm going to pray if you want me to, that the Holy Spirit would whisper to your heart, your spirit, that you belong to Jesus. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And you people watching online, same thing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want your assurance, just put your hands open over your lap. Just put your hands open. And you agree as I pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for salvation. Thank you that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we call on you today. Save us, Lord. Make us your children. Forgive us of every sin. And give us a home in heaven. Today, you are my Savior and my Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, bear witness in every heart that's crying out to you for the assurance of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, the altar is open. There's people that will pray with you. You can just maybe sit where you are and soak, or you can get on your knees. But I want you to hear the whisper that you belong to the Father forever and ever. Amen.
Jesus, we stand on your word and we enjoy the whisper of your spirit. Release your power, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Serve your king well. Have a great day. Pick up your children. There's people here to pray with you. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you again next week. God bless.